Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Strength and Health Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Shetler. I'm really excited about today's show. I'm sitting here with my good friend and colleague, Michael Krogan, who ventured down to the gym today to hang out a little bit, do some training, and uh, record this episode with me. Krogan, thanks for being here, buddy. I appreciate it. Why don't you uh, start out telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I guess first, how I met you. Uh, I met uh, Scott through Chris Jones, who is in-house with Scott with uh, Nucleus Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I've known Chris for about, been trained about seven years, so seven years in that time. Uh, I'm about a year removed of finishing my undergraduate degree in exercise science. And I'm kind of in a weird transitional phase. Uh, I know you asked me to come and talk about the industry, and first when you asked me, I was like, what could I possibly offer? You can offer a lot, buddy. Uh, and I'm in a weird place where, I guess, higher education doesn't necessarily have the weight that it used to. And in my experience, there are a lot of people who want to get in this field or within this industry and maybe don't necessarily know what direction they want to go and what path they should actually take to get there. Um, And really my pursuit's been kind of like a, I'd say a lifelong journey. So I spent most of my youth overweight. Uh, When I graduated high school, it was close to 300 pounds. And, uh, it's been one of those things where like day by day, year by year, turned into one of those things where I want to learn as much as I possibly can. And then from that, it kind of evolved into how can I make this? How can I take this as far as I can? Uh, uh, that's where I'm at. Cool, man. Well, when I first met you a year or so ago, uh, you were just getting ready to wrap up. I think you were like kind of going through your internship or something, and then you were getting ready to uh, take your NSCA uh, test and all that stuff. And uh, you're right, you know, because the state of the industry right now is – one where higher education, I don't want to say it's looked down upon, but with the technology age that we're in, people have information, access to so much information. People are, it's almost like what you're in this like continuing education capacity all the time. You know, people can learn things, you know, through social media, through YouTube, they can get in some of the information. It's not that great. And, you know, it's the problem with having access to too much information and stuff like that. But I do think at least for the basics, for the fundamentals. And I, this is something that carries over into, you know, martial arts, strength training, sport performing, things like that. The basics and the foundation are really, really important. I think that there is always going to be a need for the higher education component because you've got to learn. If you want to do this and do this well, you've got to have the background in anatomy. You've got to have the background in biomechanics. You've got to have the background because you've got to understand simple human movement because that's a platform for which you're going to build all your training programs off of. You know, and I think that a lot of times when people look at, well, I'm just a gym rat. I love hanging out at the gym. Why don't I just become a trainer? Oh, I can go do this weekend certification. They barely, it's not like you're having, you know, two semesters on anatomy and physiology, one and two. You know, I mean, they get this basic crash course in anatomy. They learn a few of the muscles, you know, and most of their education comes from like Flex Magazine. And that, yeah. that's ridiculous. And granted, we're not like doctors. We're not physical therapists. But you do have to have a good understanding of the foundation of the human body and how it performs you know, in order to, uh, to be able to do this stuff. So I think, you know, there's always going to be a need for at least for those basics, the biomechanics, the anatomy, the phys, the kinesiology, you know, basic stuff like that, which is why, you know, when, when we met and you kind of talked about how you were just, you know, getting into it, you know, you, I, I thought like, here's a guy 
who's doing it right because he's got the background. You know, you've got the educational component in place because then the rest of it is just going out and getting experience. You know, like I talk to you. There's no better – once you have that foundation – there's no better thing than just going out and getting the reps in, you know, working with people and learning. And that's how you develop your own system and your own style, you know, and kind of how I did it. You know, back we were chiseling on rock tablets when I was starting, but, you know, you got yeah, computers and shit nowadays. But uh, so you graduated, you did your internship. Um, where are you at now? I mean, I know it's been a little while. You've been doing a little bit of work and stuff. Well, what, what have you uh, started? Are you, what, what are you doing business-wise and stuff like that? So I launched a periodized performance probably um, maybe a couple of months after I graduated. And I did that because once I wrapped up uh, my internship, that is kind of part of the most university system programs, at least in exercise science. Um, it's an essential component for you to graduate. And I don't know if there's an incentive for um, either strength coaches or facilities to take people on. I'm not familiar if there is yeah. or not. But what I experienced was when I got out of school, it wasn't enough. Um, and I think regardless of industry, most people will tell you, you spend a couple of weeks to three months at internship, that doesn't warrant enough experience for you to actually produce anything. Yeah. Um, and that's the mindset of most undergraduate. Uh, when people get out of undergraduate, they're like, I have a piece of paper that says I have knowledge, pay me a bunch of money. And two weeks or three months at an internship isn't going to give you uh, enough um, you know, practical experience to actually go and do anything. Sure. So I wanted to try and find something more. So I went and I talked to a bunch of people and they were less responsive to me being out of school. And it took me a couple of months. I was a little, uh, a little discouraged because I wasn't necessarily getting the, um, the response that I wanted to. Yeah. And here I am, I'm like, I'll do whatever you want. Like, I'm not looking for money. That's the whole point of the internship. You don't have to pay me. Uh, I'll be here whenever you need. If you start at five, no problem, I'll be here at four. I'll, I'll be everything you want me to be. I mean, if you want me to clean, I'll clean. I don't care. Like if I could just sit here and just gain more from somebody. And what I realized was it's a lot to ask. Um, you know, you were pretty generous when I first started coming to train with you, um, at least in helping me kind of develop a skill set, understand all the nuances that comes with um, training athletes or training just people in general. And what I kind of found out was I don't necessarily bring enough to the table. Uh, with people for them to want to take me on. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, well, I don't have enough. I don't have enough to provide even at an internship level Yeah. for me to, to go in somewhere and ask someone to, you know, kind of help me out, kind of show me. And that's, in my opinion, one of the shortcomings of the industry overall is that higher education. Yes, that's awesome. Like you were saying, the basics are critical, but you know, even with an exercise science, I'm somewhat, inclined to say that maybe that's not the best major for people to focus on if they want to get in this industry so so you're talking more from like a business standpoint like if you want to get into this and, yeah. and run your own show you want to do your own thing yeah I'm, I'm, I, I agree with you what, what are your thoughts there uh, well so you know the one thing is that what we understand with the basics is all underpinned by things that aren't related or aren't specific to exercise so physics biology chemistry you know your traditional sciences that's what makes everything at least in related to training science work yeah um, most people are interested in that uh, in undergraduate at least in my experience you know i had people who were like man i can't wait to get done with a and p almost as if it was never going to be important to them ever yeah after right after they left yeah um and that's kind of the the downfall is that uh, the nsca i took the cscs uh, last november uh, so certified through the nsca uh, as a strength coach 
but they don't, um, you know, it's a, it's a paper test or it's a computer test, but yeah. it doesn't test any practical knowledge. It's right. It just tests what you know. Um, and it sets you up in the exercise science program. Most programs accredited yeah, schools will set you up to do well with that test because it focuses on basics. Yeah. Um, but at the end of it, you don't have anything. You don't know how to show someone how to squat. You don't know how to correct people's, um, you know, muscle imbalance or, you know, right. analyze uh, movements or analyze sports or take athletes and try to find where their strengths and weaknesses lie and how to improve upon that. What you have is a certificate. you got a piece of paper that says you completed coursework, but it's just that, it's coursework. Yeah. You know, and you look at the way they do things, like particularly overseas, like in, you know, Eastern Europe and Russia, we hear so much about the coaching program is it starts out in his apprenticeship. You go work under a coach who's been coaching, you know, for a period of time, producing athletes, producing champions and stuff. You learn their system and it's all, the education is all hands-on. I'm sure you have some theoretical background, obviously, you know, the science is important, but you spend a designated period of time, we'd call it an internship, but you're basically, it's OJT, you know, you're getting on the job training, you know, you're working under somebody. And we see that a lot in the graduate programs here, I guess, you know, if you want to be a strength coach, you go be a grad assistant somewhere and, you know, you, you do some work that way. But when you're getting into the, the, what we're doing in the private sector, it's like the wild west, yeah. you know, and that's what, that's also where you get this idea of this, you know, kind of a buyer beware, you know, if you're looking to hire a trainer for fitness or, you know, to help with, you know, you're, you're, if you're, you're a sportsman, you're help with your sport performance or something like that, you really don't know because I can create a website that says I've got X, Y, and Z and I can do this and I can make up all this stuff and I could be lying. You know, you yeah. don't know. You don't know what you're looking for. But, hey, if I got this really cool website that says I've done this and I've done this and that's what you're looking for, you're gonna, you're gonna, that, that's going to be the entrance interview because you as the, the customer don't really know you know, you can only go by what I say, you know. So you get, unfortunately, I think in our sector, we get a lot of, I don't want to say charlatans, maybe a little too strong of a word, maybe people who do have a bit of a passion, but they don't have the substance behind it that's going to help the people do what they want to do. And unfortunately, our world is dominated by the blogosphere where everybody's a freaking expert nowadays, you know, writing or trying to sell an ebook or this, that, and the other. And you often find out, like my, my metric is I'm going to go to their, and I, yeah, I know we talked about social media a minute ago, not being super big fans of it, but it's a necessarily evil in our business. But when we go, when I go and I look at their pages, and if I'm seeing more like freaking selfies and more about me, 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 and not about what they've done, who they've worked with, what they've accomplished, that's usually a great indicator right there, you know, because when I try to promote myself and my services, I want to show you what I've done with people I've worked with. Because if you're a customer, you don't give a crap about me. Right. You know, you want to know what I can do for you. So if I've got a bunch of people that I've worked with that have accomplished things that you want to accomplish, whether it's weight loss, whether it's muscle gain, whether it's strength gain, or whether it's sport performance, if I've got a track record of producing that, well, then that's, you know, there's my resume right there. Right. So we're essentially in the Wild West, and that's what makes it tough when you get started because you, I know for a fact, have so much better knowledge than a lot of people in our industry. But if you don't have the client base you know, behind you to prove that, you know, then it becomes really, really tough getting started, you know, getting traction and getting your foot in the door. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, you mentioned, you know, websites and blogs, um, but more so with social media and Instagram. If yeah. If you look at 
I mean, if you're if you're set, whatever algorithm is set for you to look at, you know, strength training or you know, fitness just in general, you're going to get a whole slew of pages of people that are selling programs or nutritional guides. Yes. And really, it'll just boil down to them themselves, which I guess in some way, if most people don't know any better, they'll look. Um, there's a term uh, bodily capital. So, man, if there's pictures of me benching 500 pounds yep. and you know flexing your abs, yeah, you know, awesome. yeah. That's what people want, at least from a general standpoint. Yeah. People are going to look at that and be like, oh, man, you know, this this guy is obviously, you know, what you should, you know, strive to be. You know, obviously right. he has some level of intelligence. And that's where uh, there's kind of two polar opposites because the other side is having all that knowledge, but then also not leading from the front. Right. That's the other downside of, yes. like, the academic world is yeah. that people won't kind of put in that time. You know, We see that in the strength world particularly. You know, everyone wants to study why is a box squat really effective? Do chains and bands for accommodating resistance, do they yield the results that they're claimed to? And everybody wants to study this stuff, but nobody's actually out doing it. Well, there are people out doing it, I don't want to say that. But oftentimes when you get the lab rats, all they want to do is try to study this and is it yielding the results that people are claiming as opposed to, say, somebody like Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell who's regularly producing powerlifters who break all-time world records using, utilizing these methods. Right. I'd almost put more stock in that than I would any research because what the research doesn't control for when I, I read a study early on in the NSCA journal about bands and chains they weren't attaching the bands properly to the bar they weren't even getting tension on the band yeah. on the bottom of the lift so it truly wasn't accommodating the resistance to the same standpoint you know that Louie does where he's got tension on the band all the way through the bottom of the lift and he's getting that over speed eccentric component of the lift they weren't able to reproduce that in the lab test so they deemed you know bands completely ineffective and they weren't even using them properly so that's where my problem and I have no problem with the science, but if the studies are not done correctly, then it's just bad science. Yeah. You know, so there has to be a blend of not only science but application. You know, and I've got a good friend, a colleague, Mike Martino, down at uh, Georgia College and State University. He's he's one of the extra science directors down there. He's one of the people who are the best of both worlds because he works with the athletes, he works with the people hands on, but he's also studying this stuff in the lab, and he almost. And I don't want to speak for him. He tends to reverse engineer it, I think. He looks at something, hey, this looks like it's effective. Let's study why it's effective. You know, let's put the right. science to it. You know, and I think that's really cool as opposed to taking a concept, studying it, saying, well, that's BS. Well, how do you know if you never really tried it? How do you know that what you did in a lab represents what's going to happen in the gym? You know, so I think there's this fine line that you have to walk between, between the theory and the application. Right, absolutely. And I think that's where, uh, you know, at least in terms of where I'm at, it's stuck between both of those two worlds. So when I launched Periodized Performance, it was kind of for a need to converse with people. Yeah. Also, you know, market myself and what I can provide. But at the same time, um, I don't want to be one of those people who, you know, they have a certain level of understanding and then get out and be like, I know everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm constantly looking to learn from people. And, uh, you know, we talk about jujitsu a lot. That's the same thing. Like, I don't have to go to an instructor if I don't care about being good, I can just stay home and watch YouTube. I go because I want careful, dedicated eyes yeah. that have been there and seen everything to help me along. And ultimately, where I'm at is periodized is going to be kind of a, it's basically a pet project for me. Yeah. Um, and then grad school is ultimately in my future. Oh, you're, oh awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and for the reason that we're talking about, because one of the biggest things for me, especially when, uh, you know, I was growing up, being overweight, trying to figure out, man, why does all this stuff work? How do I... How do I branch out? How do I translate it um, to your common, average, everyday person? And that was something that I had a professor, Dr. Uh, Gabrielle Fendaro. She works for uh, Renaissance Periodization with uh, Dr. Mike Isertel. 
and she would tell me that one of the biggest shortcomings, at least in the academic world, is that we don't do a good job at explaining to people. Um, you know, when you read peer review literature, it's in a nomenclature that most normal, you know, the layperson doesn't understand. Yeah. And where we find most of the misunderstanding is the fact that people will take that, you know, the blogger, the expert will cling to something, they'll write a blog post about it, it'll pick up steam or traction because they have X amount of followers and that'll become common knowledge, so to speak, amongst people who don't know any better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you think about any fitness or training myth and fallacy over the last 50 years that people still to this day believe on and you, you know it's still present because people still talk about it and yeah social media posts and blog posts right. and all this stuff you know knowledge of people who know what they're talking about um and i think the other big problem is that the people who aren't leading from the front necessarily more of the academic less of the practical side research uh, or studies are designed with untrained individuals so everything yes. that you see coming yes. out is like oh there's a change yes i'm not surprised there was a change yeah and you're talking about somebody who if you had them go walk around the block and lift some stones they're going to get some change at right. that point you know yeah absolutely well it's like people who argue over a lot of the free programs uh, that are available to them on the internet so people want to start straight training they can use starting strength or five yeah. by five or strong lifts or whatever yeah. And you'll have a whole, you know, set amount of followers who will cling to those programs because like, these things are the end all be all. And it's like, yeah, because you haven't done anything else. Right. And if you put enough effort and time into it, you'll eventually stop seeing progress, and then you won't be able to go anywhere. Yeah, no, that that's true. And and that's you know when we talk about programming, um, that's one of my biggest things. Like a. a a basic general program like that is going to work for a certain amount of time, right. you know, and then there's always this individualization piece that needs to be addressed at some point in time, you know, and that's where training, I, I've never really been a big believer in programs. I've been a big believer in principles, right. you know, cause if you read say Zatziorski, science and practice of strength training, he talks about there's three, four ways to really increase muscular tension. You got the max effort method, the repeated effort method, and the dynamic effort method. Those are three ways, lifting maximal loads, near maximal loads, right, for, for low repetitions, high intensity, low repetitions. Uh, submaximal loads lifted to failure or near failure, you know, so the submaximal or the repeated effort method. Then the dynamic effort method, which is submaximal weights moved with maximal force production. Those are the three, arguably four ways, that you can create some sort of muscle tension. Now, if we look at those programs that we just talked about a minute ago, they are made up of one or more of those methods, right? What changes is the application and the exercises, you know, yeah. how training frequency, training volume. But you're either lifting near maximal to, or maximal, or you're lifting submaximal, or you're lifting submaximal with force production, rate of acceleration, right? So if you understand the principle, and I, and I actually, this, I, I was at breakfast with Louis Simmons when I was visiting Westside one time, and I asked him, I said, is it where, in your opinion, do you feel that people get the concept of programming wrong? That they think, and I was using the West Side method because we were talking about you know his conjugate method. But do you think it's because people look at your what you do as a program, and they try to take what's been written about it and try to make that a program and do it without understanding the principles and applying it? To, because the thing that I've noticed when I'm at West Side Barbell and you got all his lifters and athletes in there. They're not doing the same thing. Right. They might start out with, say, if it's max effort day, they might all start, you know, they might have two or three different max effort lifts going on at the same time. This group's doing this, this group's doing this, this group. They're doing what they need. And then when they break onto the accessory stuff, nobody's doing the same thing. 
because this guy might need more tricep work. This guy might need more hamstring work. And does three sets of eight work? Does five sets of 10 work? Does 10 sets of, who knows? That guy needs what he needs. So he's pushing himself to the capacity of the, the, the kind of level of physical development that he's already in. Whereas you and I, if we take a written program, we do that same program, one of us may get benefit, one of us may not. It might be too much for me, it might be not enough for you. you know. And that's the problem with programming. But if we understand principles as trainers or educators or whatever, we can then apply that to the individual based on their individual needs analysis. Because if we've got, say we're in the gym and we've got five people we're working with, they're at different levels of aerobic capacity. They're at different levels of strength. They're at different you know, injury history. They're at, everybody's different. But if we put them all in the same program, some people might not be able to handle the volume, might not be enough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So, and in order to get stronger, you've always got to raise the volume and do more work, essentially. You know, that's the linear aspect of getting stronger. You don't get stronger by doing less work. So it's under, I, I, so I said to Lou, I said, is it really more about understanding the principles and how to individualize them? He said, absolutely. That's it, you know, and that's why I, I don't write static programs for people, you know. I don't just write three sets of eight of this or, you know, go work that muscle until you can't work it anymore. Then, you know, you've exhausted the muscle, you know. I mean, that's an easy way of saying it. But I think that's one of the things that's often overlooked because I see a lot, especially in social media, what program are you doing? What program are you following? Are you following Juggernaut? Are you following Stronglist? Are you following, you know, whatever. And what we're missing there is the individualization. I think that's what's important for people like me and you who are in the sector that we're in that's what we got to understand and that's the real art to this you know we talked about the science but the real art to training is how do i i put together this so he's going to get benefit out of it or she's going to get benefit out of it you know and that's where the educational component is really important that's why you got to understand kinesiology that's why you got to understand you know human movement you know biodynamics bioenergy we've got to understand that so we know that we're quote-unquote prescribing the right thing to the individual. Yeah, and I think one of the downside is that, despite having all the knowledge, let's say you could write a perfect program for someone, that's only one part of the component. You know, right. You can't make sure that person gets adequate amount of sleep. Is making sure that they're paying Thank attention you. to recovery, Thank you. paying attention to nutrition. Yep. And that's kind of the the hard part. At least in if someone was getting into the industry from a, a general fitness standpoint, man, you can learn everything you want to learn. Yeah. But behavior modification. Yep. And, helping someone reach their goals or at least you know start in you know new lifestyle building new habits yep that's really the hard stuff yeah um, and i think going back to what you were saying about um you know programs people arguing over which programs are better um i know west side has gotten you know a lot of criticism over what they do and how they do things uh, but i think that's because people don't understand what they're doing oh yeah well, most also, of the people who are critical of west side have never been there yeah and you know louis simonson uh, says that you know if, if you're not here doing it you're not doing west side you're not tra- if you're not physically in the building training there right whatever it is you're doing is not in any way shape or form associated with them um and the other reason it's important to highlight that is that because most of the people who have been there and have trained there. Uh, I know you sent me that podcast with uh, Jan Blakely and yeah, Dave Tate. Yeah, yeah. And they even talk about, like, uh, Dave Tate was talking about, you know, wanting to talk about things, but being afraid to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, people had certain ideas, but yeah. no one was so caught up in what they were doing that everyone was doing the same thing. Right. Especially because they're most known for, you know, equipped powerlifting. Yeah. Or used to be. And now yeah. they train all kinds of athletes. Jeez, all know, kinds of that. Yeah. They post, uh, you know, Track and field sprinters. Uh, well, and and, and that's the whole notion of you hear people say, well, it only works for equipped powerlifters. 
the sprinters I see training in there aren't wearing squat suits. You know, the, the, the MMA fighters in there, they're not wearing, you know, bench shirts. You know, so, I mean, it's if how can you say, you know, it's not good for a raw power lifter if it's getting people strong without equipment. You know what I'm saying? But it's the application. How are you applying these principles to the individual that you're working with? Because the sprinters in there aren't training exactly like the power lifters. Yeah, they all might end up doing reverse hypers at some point, and they might, but it's the application of that exercise for the individual. And there's one sprinter who trains there. She's in there every single time I go in there. And just to see how her program's changed, or at least the, the little snapshots that I get of it when I'm in there, uh, how it's evolved and the things that Louie has her doing, I mean, you couldn't understand that stuff by being an outsider looking in. You know, the only way I can understand that is actually talking to her and asking her what she's doing, why she's doing, and talking to Lou. You know, and they love to share information up there, and they love to talk training and stuff like that. But unless you actually go in and start picking his brain, you're just making an assumption based on an article, a video, you know, something that you might have read, when he's got damn near 50 years worth of work behind everything that he's doing. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I think it's hard to be critical of something like that. You know, you can't be critical of something that produces results. Absolutely. You know, so. The, uh, I like the word you use, snapshot, because yeah. when it comes to using principles of training to help people get better, um, you know, if you write the perfect program and everyone's been there who's trained for any length of time, there's a day where you show up and you're like, I can't do this. You know, maybe your, your sleep is somewhere in the wind. You're stressed out about something else going on in your life and you come to train and what you have said before you isn't going to happen. And then it becomes one of those, you know, overwhelming crises where you're like, well, what do I do now? The program's not working. I don't, I don't know. And then what I used to do personally, just because I didn't know any better was, this doesn't work. I've got to scrap it all and go back to square one. Right. And instead of being like, all right, what does the volume look like up until this point? Right. Have I been paying attention to all these little things? Um, well, and what you said there is important because, you know, if you get to that point where you've had success over three, four weeks or something, you know, with, with your, your training, and then you come in, you had bad sleep, you had bad nutrition, you're just run down, and you know what's on the dock for the day isn't going to happen. Okay, well, if you and I are going to drive out to L.A. here from Atlanta, we're going to have a road map. We're going to plug it into our, our Google Maps or whatever. We're, we're going to have a route that we're going to take. But when we get to Colorado, this road might be being worked on. Now, do we stop, turn around, and head all the way back to Atlanta and reset? Or do we figure out a detour to get around that, to get back on the route, go in the direction we need to go? Training's no different. You know, you're going to have off days, you know, because of the recovery component, because of, you know, anything. You know, life happens. So pulling back that day maybe cutting the volume on that exercise, maybe taking a recovery day. There's things that we can do to still get some benefit out of that day, but if it's a day we might need more recovery, then we implement some recovery measures, you know, so that we can get back on track and we don't just totally smash ourselves, say, screw it, today's a max effort, you know, deficit deadlift, I'm going to do it, and then you end up not getting a record, and then you end up just driving your recovery further down. Now you've got an even greater hole you got to eventually climb out of. You know, so I think, and that falls under the art of training too. How do we make those adjustments for when adversity in life and things like that comes up? Yeah. I think that's one of the problems most people run into, especially physically active people. They start a program and the way we look at programming, linear periodization is a bad word for it because it's, it's yeah. linear overall in terms of progress. Right. The loading from day to day is... Pro- it's progressive overload is exactly. what it is. Yeah. But most... Most physically active people, man, they'll grind themselves into the dirt. Um, I, there was a, a post I think maybe you shared. I, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's like you know, your average 
30-something-year-old will go to the gym, yeah. do something that kind of resembles a squat, yeah. do some bicep curls, and he'll just do that over and over again because that's all he knows until something breaks, and then yeah. he's like, all right, I'm out. You know, yeah. Then it's, you know, how do I ever get this person back into uh, being where they're at right. or where they should be? And that's kind of what... Uh, Kind of what's driving me right now is not necessarily from an athletic standpoint, but people who, one, just don't know any better, um, yeah. but also people who you know, may have some shortcoming, some physical limitation. Uh, I think initially when I went to school, uh, physical therapy was one of the main directions I wanted to head in, Yeah, and um, it became apparent to me that there's a way to avoid that end process, that, mm-hmm. that how do I fix this person? that you shouldn't need fixing in the first place. Right, because there's a front line that we operate on where we can implement things that are going to hopefully reduce the likelihood. Obviously, if you're doing, say, a contact sport like football or martial arts, injuries are going to happen. That's just part of the thing. When you're pushing at a really high level, you're playing football and a 300-pound guy falls on you, you're going to get hurt. You know, I mean, that's just how it is. You know, you're, you're competing in a grappling sport and somebody's cranking on your neck. Well, you might hurt your neck, you know. But what we can do as trainers, we're like kind of the front line of defense for like the physical therapist, the orthopedic guys, because it's our job to produce the best possible physical specimen that is less likely to get injured, has the capacity to recover better, has the capacity to tolerate the stresses of their sport or their training or whatever. And that's our job. You know, and so it becomes less and less about the program and more about what this person needs. And we take our principles and apply it to that individual so they're in the best possible situation for success, whether they're trying to lose weight, whether they're trying to build muscle, or trying to get stronger, they're trying to enhance sport, whatever. But that's our job. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's how the even the NSCA, uh, you know, they highlight the fact that our specialty is in one particular area, and it's important that we have the background knowledge to at least be able to communicate with people who do have these problems. Right. Because I, and know where to send them. Yeah. And and I, I've been amazed people who come to me and they're like, oh man, yeah, I tweak my knee, and I'm like, okay, well, what did your doctor say specifically? Oh, you went to PT for eight weeks. Okay, what program did they leave you? Afterwards, yeah. were you cleared for activity? Yes. Is there anything contraindicated that you shouldn't be doing? Yes. Like, uh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, that's important for me to know because I can't help you if I don't know where we're going to start at. Yes. And some people, you know, I guess when you come back from that, like with anybody, you take some time off from training for injury and you're like, I got to get back in right where I was because yep. that's the mindset. And that's not the case. Has. Yeah, that's the worst possible thing that you could do. Yep. But I think there's also uh, a responsibility there to and one of the things that you know maybe you know for people like you and me having a network of professionals that have specialties like you're the strength guy the fitness guy conditioning guy but you might need a therapist massage therapist a body work specialist a chiropractor an orthopedic guy you know somebody that you know when you've identified a situation that one of your clients are in you can send them to the person that can best help with that situation. And I think part in and my biggest complaint with a lot of the organizations that place such a, and I'm going to use this term kind of broadly, but the corrective exercise specialist. We're not physical therapists, all right? But we do know that if we need to beef up knee strength and stability, we might need to implement an exercise like a terminal knee extension, develop some hamstring strength because we're making that joint more stable. Okay, but outside, we can't fix something, yeah. you know? And that's where it becomes important. Like, I, I think you see a lot of these 
personal trainers who almost fancy themselves like amateur physical therapists. They're trying to do too much and they begin working outside the scope of their specialty. Yeah. You know, and for us, we need to be really, really good at getting people strong, conditioned, and more injury resilient. But in the presence of an injury, we need to know who the person is down the chain that this individual needs to go see so that we can get them back to the point that we can keep working with them and we can keep that program progressing. And I think a lot of times too, ego gets in the way. You know, we don't want to admit that somebody might be able to better help our client. We're viewing it as we might be losing some money, but ultimately we got to keep the client's best interests at heart and give them the best possible care you know, should an injury or something like that result. Yeah, I think a lot of, um, I think there's starting to be a lot of blend, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. I know a ton of PTs that have um, gone to get, you know, the CSCS and, yeah. you know, branch into strength and conditioning because, you know, physical therapy is such a broad field. You know, if you get your DPT, you're talking about three years of hard work. Yeah. They, they don't take breaks. No. You're, you're grinding through that thing. And there's such a huge amount of knowledge for them to take in that can't cover everything. Yep. And so you see a lot of guys going, you know, the same way that we would look to continuing education. Yeah. Same thing for them. And they have they have greater responsibility because right. they're dealing with people who have an issue. They can't maybe can't, you know, participate in normal activities in their life, let alone yep. get back to whatever athletic endeavor that they were involved in. Well, and I think like you said, that that therapist that goes out and gets a CSCS or something like that exposes themselves to the strength industry is good because while they might not be trying to be a strength coach, there's a bridge that they're building there where they understand the role of the strength coach. You don't need to be a physical therapist to understand the role. You know, we can figure out that marriage between the two professions so that we can better refer when somebody needs something. You know, we can understand, you know, this injury. We can understand that. doesn't mean we're trying to fix it. You know, a physical therapist doesn't need to be getting somebody's squat up to seven, 800 pounds, you know, but having an understanding of the field and how it relates is really, really important. You know, like we were talking a minute ago, that's essentially why I started training jujitsu was because I work with so many jujitsu athletes. I want to better understand their sport. And I got no desire to compete. You know, I got no desire to go down that route, but I'm going to be a better uh, physical you know, training specialist to a jujitsu athlete if I do the sport, you know, or, or if I do the, the art rather. Um, and I think that's an important thing. You know, if you're going to work with somebody on strength, you might not need to be a world champion power lifter, but you got to know what it's like to get yourself stronger. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, even within physical therapy, that one of the big things that I made me kind of move away from it was um, being able to help everyone and how much ultimately it comes down to how much time do I have for that person yeah um, you know something like jujitsu I, I can't imagine how frustrating it would be because fortunately I haven't had that many significant injuries I've had some bad injuries but um, I've managed to work through but imagine being someone and uh, you know going to your physical therapist and trying to understand the loading patterns that you have to place on that person to get them prepared to come and do jujitsu I mean, just making people stronger um, or, you know, developing, you know, uh, a methodology that's going to improve someone's performance on the mat is hard enough. Yeah, it's very so hard. It's like, yeah, somebody's literally, like, the name of the game is to break stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but to do it in a manner that's very relaxed and with as little force production as possible, yeah. you know, the, the efficiency component, you know, we can argue that strength definitely is important, but you're trying to minimize your use of strength, you know? So, I mean, it becomes, you're talking about so many different facets and so many different 
things that factor into the physical development of a sport like that. You know, it's not just like powerlifting where we know, hey, you got to get your squat, your bench, and your deadlift bigger. That's very easy, you know. It's hard work, but it's easy because we have, you know, the bar's not fighting back. You know, in a combat sport, you got an opponent who you got a game plan, but like Mike Tyson always said, you know, hey, everybody's got a plan until you hit in the face. You know, so you're talking about a much more chaotic environment, and it's very tough to prepare for that. You know, it's very tough. So since we're on the topic of jiu-jitsu and you've been training for six months. (laughs) um, And and in case everybody's wondering what that noise is in the background, we got our open mat starting up. So uh, apologize to the three people that are listening to this. (laughs) So – I'm curious what you have seen now that you've started training. So, you know, going from working with, you know, combat athletes and then actually being in the mix of it, um, what have you learned? The good thing is I think I was definitely on the right track, um, but there were definitely some things that changed once I started doing it. One thing, I don't want to say that I neglect, but I kind of reprioritized a lot of things. I saw the importance not just for cardiovascular capacity, aerobic capacity that's very important but if you don't have the muscular endurance to accompany that it doesn't matter how big the gas tank is so to speak right right so if i go out and i just do nothing but running right i'm going to get really good as far as my cardiovascular condition if i apply the correct heart rate strategies and i and i i I can build my aerobic capacity to a large degree but if i start training my grip gives out my forearm gives out you know, I don't have that muscular endurance to come. So I think muscular endurance is very, very important. Um, I think training the, the muscles to fire when you're fatigued is very important. I think that's something that's overlooked. I think a lot of times when we look at training of the combative athlete, and maybe more so in the mixed martial art capacity, not so much jujitsu, but we see a lot of emphasis placed on anaerobic uh, circuit type training, interval training, and stuff like that. And I really think what happens is we tend to focus too much development on energy systems at the neglect of others. You know what I'm saying? I think the two biggest things that I've seen, aerobic capacity needs to be improved dramatically because these sports largely require the aerobic system, the aerobic energy system to produce energy, even though there are times where you're going to cross into your anaerobic metabolism. There's no question about that. We're going to get anaerobic at certain points. MMA fighter, when they start, you know, throwing bombs and stuff like that, they're producing power. But the underlying importance of the aerobic energy system is often overlooked, but hugely, hugely important. Muscular endurance and then paying attention to the small areas. Uh, Joint integrity, I think, is really, really important. You know, strengthening up the neck, the shoulders, the elbows, you know, the wrists, the fingers, the grip. You know, these are things that are placed under a great deal of stress that can be injured very easily and uh, that need, you know, a lot of, of we need to strengthen up those connective tissues. The strength piece is important, but come on, you know, do some deadlifts, do some squats, do some pressing, pulling. We're going to get the appropriate levels of strength. Power is important. But only at a small, you know, when you're shooting, when you're, you know, in in jiu-jitsu, there are times where you have to move quickly and explosively. It's important, but it's not the greatest piece of the puzzle. For me, I really, or the greatest piece of the pie, the greatest chunk of the pie or the web, I think, for me, that I learned about aerobic capacity, having the appropriate muscular endurance to balance it out, and then the joint integrity to help with the resiliency and the, uh, the, because I didn't realize, because so many people I work with are pretty tough dudes, you know, and, and girls. Uh, uh, v is a really strong girl. Uh, Chris is a strong guy. Logan is a strong, resilient guy. I've, I've kind of had, you know, the ability to work with some pretty, pretty tough people. You don't realize how easy it is to get injured just in simple training, you know? And I mean, you get, you know, you don't want to be macho. Oh, just shake it off. Just, you know, you don't want that thing to progress to be a worse injury. 
then you're training, you know, you're training a sideline, your competition sideline, you have to spend a lot more time in recovery rehabilitation. So I think like we talked about a minute ago, being that front line, you know, making people more resilient is one of the best things that we can do. So those are kind of the biggest things that I know. Oh, and it's freaking hard. (laughs) It's frustrating. You know, Uh, I I get that, you know, we were joking in the gym one day, you know, uh, after Logan went to, uh, went to his first worlds and he came back and I think you were there and we were talking and, and I made a comment about Chris and how he and I were laughing about something. Logan kind of gave me that side eye that he's known for. He just kind of looks at me like, that, what you talking about, Willis Lick? And I, and I go, what? He goes, Chris who? I go, Chris Jones. He goes, Chris Jones doesn't have a sense of humor. I go, yeah, he does. We laugh about shit all the time. And Logan goes, he usually just looks at me like a disappointed father. Well, hey, Logan, if you're listening, I'm getting that look every Monday and Wednesday morning now, buddy. I, I get what you're talking about there. So. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, but no, it's, it's been fun. You know, like I said, it's not a, uh, it's not something uh, that, like I said, I don't really see myself competing. Uh, I don't care about ranks and stuff like that. I just want to do it to get greater proficiency, to better understand what the athletes I'm working with are doing, and yeah, to enjoy it for a while, you know, so. Yeah, something I, uh, I read the other day, there was a paper that came out that looked at more or less the movement analysis between basically what would be considered striking or MMA yeah. and then as opposed to grappling. And they found that there's a subtle difference between the two of them, at least in work ratios. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I guess it's probably part of the culture that people are now so used to high-intensity interval training. Yeah. It's like all the long, you know, slow, steady-state work is kind of like, ah, that's It's a bad process. word. Yeah, it's like... You're going to get weak. You're going to lose yeah. muscle mass. You're going to, you know... But it's the biggest part of uh, the, the one thing that people overlook is recovery. Yes. And, you know, if you can't drive that, you're you're good for a little while. And then once your performance kind of teeters out, are you going to be good for the next round? You're only going to progress from what you can recover from. Absolutely. If you can't recover from it, you're not going to get better. Hands that. And it's that simple. It's that simple. That's what I really appreciate about that podcast with uh, JM and Dave. You know, JM plays such an emphasis on the importance of recovery. And not just physical recovery, but mental recovery. You know, he talked about the importance of adopting, like, a meditation practice, of de-stressing, of, you know, kind of working on yourself. All these other things that factor into that that performance, you know. And one thing that struck me was as he got better, his training frequency decreased. I think he talked about how when he started out, you know, you could – bench three times a week he got to you know he's a bench press specialist but he got to the point at the end of his career when he was benching over 700 it took him 10 days to recover from the workload that he had to put out and i also heard something in his past but uh kk um the big deadlifter constantinos um he had a 948 pound deadlift i think raw with no belt um one of the things i noticed was when he was asked about his training he would hit deads about every 10 days you know, so there's got to be a point where you're encountering such great intensities that the body needs more recovery time. Obviously, if you're benching 100 pounds, it's different than benching 500 pounds or yeah. 700 pounds. You know, so recovery is hugely important. And I think a lot of times for the martial artists, they don't consider the stresses, the physical stresses on the body when they're training. Yeah. But there's days, and granted, I suck as far as technique goes, but I feel like I'm worse than, worse than any bench work that I've ever done. My shoulders are killing me. My elbows are killing me. My yeah. chest hurts. It's like, I don't remember benching 10 sets of 10 today. What did I do? Oh, well, I was trying to press John Adams off me. That's what happened. Well, that's yeah. the unfortunate, you know, it's like the original sin in combat sports, um, you know, especially jujitsu, is to take time off. Yeah. You know, there are people here training every single day, days yeah. on end. They never take a break. And there is something to be said about, you know, 
comparing overtraining to just being under recovery. Yes. And you know, knowing that fine line of yeah. when and where to push. But man, I've been in a position. I would argue a lot of people have where you don't take a break until your body makes you take a break. Probably not the smartest no. idea. Because then the recovery is longer. But that's the mindset. Than if you just backed it. Yes. Yeah. That's the yes. that's the mindset. That's how injuries are. happen, though. Yeah. You know. Uh, and I would be lying if I said I didn't wait for an injury to happen to make me be like, ah, I need to take a little time off. We've all been there, though. Yeah. You know, we and, and I think it's something you have to experience to kind of get an idea where your limits are, too. Yeah. And I want to say limits like you can't get better. I mean, your limits as far as, you know, knowing how your body feels when it's time to, hey, maybe I need to back off a little bit. Maybe I need to reduce the training volume. Maybe instead of going and rolling really hard today, maybe I just drill a little bit, then I get out of there and I yeah. take a little more recovery time. You know, because there are things that you can do um, from a technical, like in, in jiu-jitsu, if you want to work on, you know, some techniques a little bit, you don't need to, you know, if you're really beat down, you could still get some benefit without further stressing yourself. You know, same with powerlifting. You know, if you're really run down and you're not going to pull a max, well, why not just do, you know, sub-maximal weights, work on your technical, you know, there's something I think that can always be done, um, but it doesn't have to be mega intense all the time. You even see now in MMA, one of the things that people talk about a lot, uh, reduction in the amount of sparring they do. Yep. You know, because when you go live that much, they're getting injured. They're getting hurt. You know, there's a lot of guys who get injured during a training camp and they can't, you know, go fight because, you know, this happened when, you know, it's like a lot of these guys are already thinking like, well, I already know how to fight. Yeah, absolutely. You um, know? Uh, I don't know if I touched on this in the first part of it, but uh, I train under Paul Creighton, uh, who also Chris came. The man. Guys, yeah. Black belt from. Um, and I've been working at Great Mixed Martial Arts for the better part of the last, man, maybe four or five years I don't know it's been a while yeah and all the time just kind of bleeds together to a certain point but um, you know conversations with Paul he said the exact same thing you know he had a lengthy career of combat sports started wrestling when he was really young but you know yeah. some time he, in the UFC yeah. yeah even you know even our MMA classes he's like I'm really glad we spar the way we do um, especially now everybody coming out and being like oh, I don't you know uh, there's a joke like you know name a boxer that can, in their 50s that can string a sentence together yes and not wrong in every case that comes out you see people who've been fighting a long time and you're like, man that guy took a lot of punishment now, especially the guys who keep wanting to fight yeah and who really don't have anything else to prove yeah um you watch them you're like man that's probably not the best idea but yeah not really anybody's place to tell them what to do no and it's like, not but I, it's one of those things where you got a very short window if you want a quality of life afterwards yeah. the guys that push further and further outside of that window are looking for more you know you're you're, you're gonna have a reduce quality of life and you know hey it's america you can make that decision but i think the important thing is if the decision's informed yeah. you know and as long as it's informed you're welcome to do whatever you want you know it's not healthy to walk around even jacked and shredded at almost 300 pounds you know that's still a lot of stress on the heart but if that's what you want to do as long as you understand the negatives that go along with it and do the best that you can to stay healthy it's your choice to make yeah you know i think it ultimately comes down to having your ego in control and being disciplined to say, I know what I need so to do like and I, I need to dial it back. Because ultimately yes. you don't, but everyone who enjoys training, no matter what it is, if you're in the gym or if you're on the mat, training in of itself is enjoyable. Nobody would do it if it wasn't. Right. And you want the most benefit from the least amount of work. Exactly. The downside of that is human beings at least in my experience don't think that way no you know if i if i i at my core i could be like i shouldn't train today i'm gonna yeah. take my stuff and leave right and then 
you know, I'm about to walk out the door and Logan is going to be like, you're leaving? Yeah. It's yeah. time to train, bro. Right. Like, yeah. you need to turn around and get back on the mat. And then it becomes, oh, man. Yep. Right. Yeah, I guess I, I guess And that's I where that train. personal willpower comes in. You got to say, no, nah, I really yeah. need to take the day off. I lose, and... I lose a lot. <laughs> yeah. Big time. Sure. But, uh, yeah. I uh, get it with that guy. I'm, I'm a little bit more smart, at least, uh, when I know I've got to take a break, when I've got to yeah. dial it back. So. Well, he's still young and made out of rubber. When he gets, you know, your age or God forbid my yeah. age, I told him I'm going to live long enough just to see that happen. Oh, yeah. Just so I can bust his chops about it, you know, because I get so sick of that little young punk coming in here, yeah. you know, squatting 675 in the belt squat for a triple and then bouncing right back and, you know, recovering from it, you know, and just, but, you know, he's, he's made out of rubber. He'll learn one day. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of the downside of combat arts too is that the training volume is high I, I don't know if it's high out of necessity but most guys you know at the highest level man every day yep multiple times a day and we're looking back at people in open mat right now that who I have trained yeah, all the so time. many times this you know you just look at their facebook you know matt over there checks in the buckhead jiu-jitsu every five minutes you yeah. know so um but there's also something to be said though you know and louis always likes to say the body will adapt to the demands placed upon it you know and when you were talking about that whole being overtrained or under recovered, we can raise our physical capacity in an intelligent way to where we can tolerate greater and greater workloads. It is possible, but you've got to give yourself time to adapt. You got to give the tissues time to adapt. You know, there we can push it up to a certain level. And like a lot of those guys out on the mats right now are serious competitors. You know, they compete on a regular basis. They've got to do more frequent training. They've got to push those volumes higher than somebody like me who's doing it more recreationally. Where hey, probably two three days enough. It is enough for me at this point in time, you know, and I'm having a hard time sometimes recovering from a hard session like that. I've had to dial back my strength training. I've had to dial, you know, do other things to compensate for that. You know, you're, you're, the teacup's only so big. Eventually it's going to start spilling over. You keep adding stuff to it. You've got to take away at some point, you know, to make room for that. But the body will adapt to greater demands, and that's how we get stronger, by doing more volume, doing more work. But it's got to become more and more intelligent as that goes on too. I think maybe one of the bigger problems in jiu-jitsu is that it's easy to get caught up in the act, get caught up in the practice of it, yeah. rather than uh, you know being very focused in what it is you're trying to do. And I'm 100% guilty of that because you know sometimes if you're on the mat all the time, it's easy to just go through the motions, and it's easy to just be like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of float here rather than having. That's interesting because you've got a skill set, whereas somebody like me who's got zero skill. You know, I'm out there and wondering what I'm supposed to do half the time. I do not yeah. have skill. I appreciate you saying that 100%. You got more than me, man. So More than you, but yeah. it's not, trust me, yeah. I'm very mediocre at best. Yeah. Um, and you learn that. You know, we were talking about, you know, what it's like to come up through the ranks and keep training in jiu-jitsu. I always tell people that, you know, if you're looking to progress, to get better, that in of itself is the only thing you should worry about. Yep. Not belts or winning championships. It's like that with anything. Stuff. It's yeah, like that absolutely. with anything. Yep. I mean, I know guys who don't compete at all, and they're some of the best people that I roll with. Now, people who do compete fairly often do well just because they have a huge wealth of experience. Yeah. Um, Matt, who's training right here, uh, his instructor is Sam Joseph at Buckhead Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, Sam used to teach a pulse uh, when I yeah. first started as a white belt. and. You know, he used to say that training is almost like, or competing is almost like a month of training. Yeah. And he's right because, like I said, I can come in and just go through the motions and not pay attention to anything that it is I'm doing. And if I go to compete, if I can win, that means everything that I've been working on has worked at least at that at that time on that for day, that point in time against those absolutely. people. Right. Absolutely. But when it doesn't work, 
and I know anyone who's competed who's haven't done well and lost when you're in that position, it's I mean part of it's life changing because if you put a huge amount of time and effort into training, and then all of a sudden you're in a position that you can't get out of. Let's say you're stuck in bottom half, and this dude's just passing over and over again, and you can't make anything that you've been working on actually work and put it into practice. Yes. You got to question what you've been doing for the last three yeah. months, six months, um, and I know that's kind of a harsh mentality to take. To, it's to true, take though. with people, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Competition's harsh. Yeah, you know, and it's—I mean—it's a good look. It's—it's not—it's not bad. Um, my my attitude's kind of changed over the years. Um, one of its importance, but also uh, at least in terms of mindset, and it's something I learned very recently. If someone comes and tells me, like, hey, I want to go and compete, and my first question is, are you going to win? Because if your immediate answer is a yes, then you shouldn't go and do that. Because you take yes. a huge amount of risk, both your physical health, mm-hmm. um, it just shouldn't be that way. I, I get want to test yourself, but I don't think we should kind of beat around the bush. Yeah. Um, you know, training is one thing. You know, you shouldn't be injured in training. You know, it should be nice and relaxed. Should be working towards getting better, not competing in the gym with your teammates. Yes, but you have to appreciate that if you're going to go competing against somebody else you've never met before, you're playing for keeps. Yes, and even though it's kind of trivial, I don't want to say it's trivial. Um, There's a level of respect between two combative athletes, but they're going out to win. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't want to put uh, you don't want to put that in somebody else's hand. Actually, one of the first times I realized that there was a local show here. one of the guys used to train with us had a pro MMA fight, and uh, it was in Atlanta. I can't remember where it was, but there were two levels, and the referee turns to one of the judges talking, and dude's mounting, uh, turns his back, guy chokes him unconscious, sitting there holding the choke. Guy in the second level had to scream down to the ref to tell him that he was out, and he turned and looked. At that moment, I was like... If I ever compete, I will never, ever, ever leave my health and safety in the hands of someone watching Somebody else. me. Because yep. yep. that dude did not care. He yep. was like, I can't wait till these fights are over so yeah. I can go party in downtown. Yes. Jeez. Crazy. Yeah. Well, look, man, we're coming up on uh, coming up in an hour, so let's go ahead and bring this thing in for a landing. Um, give me, uh, what are you reading right now? Uh, I just finished um, Tudor Bampa, periodization. Nice. So we're getting through programming. Um, I've been trying not to go the route uh, of trying to read super training, like you told me. Yeah. To read it like a book. And Keep it as a reference. Pieces. Yeah. So what I've tried to do is kind of take a kind of like a goal-oriented approach. So I'll pick up super training. Uh, my last big, I guess, exploration is programming in of itself, periodization, trying to understand like how daily undulating works, yes. how certain types of athletes might need certain types of um, approaches, yeah. you know, especially depending on their training status. Sure. So if somebody first starting out may not necessarily need you know, that rapid change in variation, yeah. whereas a more advanced athlete absolutely does. Yep. Um, and then the next one on the docket is uh, one of the books the NSC put out, NSCA put out on uh, testing and assessment. Nice. Because I want to be able to kind of get benchmarks set so I can understand where I'm at and uh, you know where I can take people. I know it's easy when, to have yeah. to do that. But. When, yeah, but when you're working with somebody, assessment's crucial because you've got to constantly evaluate and reevaluate so you keep the program progressing. Well, cool, man. Give me one tip for somebody who wants to get started in this. Other than don't, give me a tip for somebody who wants to get started in this crazy industry that you and I are calling home. 
so one of the big things people will tell you is that continuing education is a must. Uh, it needs to be 100% a nonstop endeavor. Everything that you can possibly read, every person that has even the tiniest nugget of knowledge that you can take from them, you 100% need to take from them. Nice. Never stop learning. Well, cool, brother. Thanks for coming on. It was a fun chat. Let's go get some training in. You got it, man. Thanks, All right, buddy. Thanks, man. We'll do this again. All right, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that talk with my buddy Michael Krogan. Go check him out. Is it periodized.com? Is that the cool? We'll put a, I'll put a link to his website in the show notes. If you're up in the Swanee, Georgia area is kind of where he's operating, definitely go check him out. Uh, if you got any suggestions for future topics for upcoming shows, please email those to me at scott at eptsgym.com. Again, all the information will be down in the show notes. And until next time, stay strong and stay healthy.